Would you please join with me in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, and just fill each and every one of us with your grace and your truth and your love. Lord, we know that as we've walked through this journey through Luke over these past weeks, uh, taking in your word is by taking in strong medicine. It, it's, it's bitter maybe on the outset, but oh, it's so good for us. And we pray that this message would be so in our lives, spiritually and, and emotionally, Lord, as we seek to follow you as your people. And now, Lord, May the words of our hearts and the meditation of our mouths be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I really enjoy this time of year. Not, not just because of the great weather that's coming up, but <clears throat> I just am very, have very fond memories of the first day of school. Not only as a student, but as a teacher. Uh, my last teaching assignment was at Westlake High School in Waldorf, Maryland, where I was the CrossFit coach, all right? It was a great job. It really was. But typically, as, as those of you who are in education understand what I'm about to say, I had three kinds of kids. I had the athletes, and they didn't have a choice. All our coaches were like, if you're going to play for me, you're going to be in Coach Sherman's class, you know? And it's just the way it was. And the kids were like, Okay. So they did. So you had athletes, and they wanted to be there because they were hoping to be strong and competitive on the athletic field. Then you had another third of students were just, they were non-athletes, but they were just good kids. They wanted to be fit. So we set them up on their own program, and it was a lot of fun, and they were just, they were as fun to have, if not more so, than many of our athletes were. Then you had the third, which the guidance counselors just threw in there because they had nowhere to put the kid in the schedule. And the, the weight room would hold 36 kids max. You know, so I wanted 24. They gave me most of the time I had 36 up to 40 kids. And so it was quite a busy time. And, you know, it was always a real blessing. The first day of school, it was the only day of the year I wore a tie because I was a coach. And so I wore a coat and a tie and the kids came and sat down in the gym, and I gave them the syllabus. And the athletes looked at the syllabus and went, all right. The non-athletes went in the syllabus, and they say, oh, goody, this is going to be awesome for me. Then the third that got thrown in there, and they said, what the heck? You know? And after going through the protocol and how the class was going to run and the goals for them and their individual fitness goals and everything that we were going to do for them, there was always a few kids that would come down at the end of the period and say, Coach, this isn't for me. And I said, well, here's a pass. Back to the guidance office. Make sure you tell Mr. Johnson he can transfer out. You have my permission. But there was always that one kid who, you know, just didn't think. But about a month later, they realized they were in over their head. Just like the kid who signed up for math and realized maybe they're in over their head. Or honors English and they have to read 50 books as opposed to regular English, who just have to read five. Right? Well, Jesus is responding to a question of the crowd. And I don't know if you know it, but Luke made this point in this chapter. Did you catch it in verse 22? He's going through towns and villages on his way to where? Good class. He's going to Jerusalem because he's going to die for us. 
It's been a theme all throughout, and that's not the last time we're going to hear this. Luke really wants the reader and us to understand how much God loves us in Jesus. So he's going through these towns and villages proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's basically the same message that he's saying everywhere he goes. Repent and believe, repent and believe, doing miracles and what have you. And so as he's going there, obviously there's not thousands like there were last time. He makes three great points to this question that are helpful for our walks today, no matter where you are in your journey. Number one, the importance of knowing Jesus in a personal relationship. Secondly, the importance of striving in your discipleship. And last but not least, being urgent about that. Right? Knowing Jesus personally, striving in your discipleship, and being urgent about striving. So I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. And by the way, you have my permission to open up your app on your phone if you want to. Just, I would encourage you to put it on airplane mode so your fantasy scores don't come in and your advice, your draft updates from the fantasy footballers. Um, I know you, that's some, some of you guys do, but it really helps to follow along. And obviously you have it in the back of the bulletin. When we get our own building, I'm putting Bibles in the pews and you're going to open them. All right. All right. But this isn't our building yet. So we'll get there one day. All right. Let's look at this. Um, the first point of the whole passage is the importance, number one, of knowing Jesus personally. He says in verse 25 and 26, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open us, and he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Jesus is saying in our, con our contemporary context, it doesn't matter that you're a fan of Alistair Begg. It doesn't matter if you're a fan of Chuck Swindoll or Tim Keller or any other radio podcast ministry that you enjoy. Even if you're a fan of me, I have three of you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. But Jesus isn't after fans. He's after followers. Because he loves us. He wants a personal love relationship with each and every one of us. You can't stand on the grammar that you earned, learned in Sunday school. You can't just stay with where you were from your first communion class or your confirmation class. Or I'm, I'm glad you went to Young Life Camp. Super. That's great. And the 20 minutes that you spent there, quiet before the Lord, awesome, powerful. But it's in the present tense. I do not know where you come from. Right now, do we know him? And that's the important thing that Jesus is trying to drive in this whole passage. Do we have a personal relationship of love with the living God who loved us so? That's what the cross is all about. We know he's going there. Verse 22 tells us that. He loves us. We should strive to know him. And because when you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone and you are named among his followers and he is the Lord of Lords, he's your King of Kings, he's your Prince of Peace, you find yourself, you know what you used to love? You hate. 
what you used to hate, now you love, and you find yourself constantly changing and growing in that knowledge because you know him. Like you know your spouse. Like you strive to always know your spouse. We strive to know God. One of the great blessings when I went and saw George in March, those of you who aren't aware, my son-in-law, George Hampy, is a professional actor. And he's always auditioning. He doesn't even tell me anymore. You know, he just, he's always auditioning for Netflix series. That's a great gig. Half of them are filmed in New York. You know, he could go at home at night if he wanted to. It'd be a great gig. And so, but until he gets one of those, he's taking all kinds of work. And so he took the role of Romeo in Romeo and Juliet in, in a regional Boston theater company, Huntington Theater in Boston. It was great. Great contemporary rendering of it with the original text. One of the great blessings was being in this long line after the stage to enter the stage, and we got to walk up to the front and say, uh, my name's Gene Sherman. I'm Romeo's father-in-law. <laughs> and I got to go in front of everybody. And so I walked down this long corridor, this theater, huge theater, is built in 1895, you know. You walk down to the basement of this theater where I would go to George's dressing room and knock on the door, and Kimmy and, and Rebecca are right behind me. And George welcomes me and says, hey, let me, let me introduce you to the cast. I got to meet the entire cast. Just phenomenal experience. See, when your name is on the list and you're known, you get to go to the party. Because that's a hint of what we're going to see here in a bit of what our walk with the Lord is going to be like in the future. All right? So it's knowledge of the Lord which is important. Not facts. Knowledge. The facts come as you grow. That's the first point. He's obviously speaking here of his second coming. And he wants to make sure that we're there. Dr. J.I. Packer states in his book, once you become aware that the main business that you are for here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Isn't that great? So, first, we know God. Secondly, once we know God, we strive in our discipleship in following God. Look what Jesus says to the question right off the bat. Verse 24 strive to enter through the narrow door. The New English translation translates it, exert every effort. The word that Jesus used here is the Greek word agonizomai. We get the word agonize or agony from this. In other words, our effort in walking with Jesus ought to be striving in this way, breaking a sweat. But don't forget, this is not to earn our salvation. It's because we have salvation. Because we know God, because we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ, we sweat, we work out, we get in the gym and do our work. Okay? And it's important that we understand it, that it's not striving to earn. It's striving because we've, he's earned it for us. And it's out of a, a whole life of gratitude. And even when I fail in my striving, he still loves us and welcomes us back into his fold. The striving is a word that was used for the Greek wrestling matches. 
And when you study, because I did in my undergrad, we studied ancient Greek athletics. Those wrestling matches were ugly, ugly things. A lot of moves that are illegal today were legal back then. You know, so guys would walk out of the wrestling match with broken shoulders, you know, separated shoulders, broken arms, broken legs. It was more like the MMA. Those of you who are MMA fans, I, I, I can't hardly watch the MMA because it's so, it's like a street fight. You know, they step into that octagon and they literally pummel each other. It's all, it, to me, it's almost too much. But it's the whole point of getting in and doing this. Benedict, in the 6th century, we know him as St. Benedict. He was head of a monastic order. So when you hear of a Benedictine monk, it's, it's after this pattern of discipleship where he realized his friends needed a rule of life, he called it, and he framed what we call the daily office. It's in the prayer book. Morning, evening prayer. Because we're quick to fall cold, aren't we? And Benedict framed this. The word office is Latin for work. Because it's kind of a, coming from evangelical land. I have my quiet time, you know, with the Lord. <laughs> Do the daily office. Because it's daily work. <laughs> Morning, evening prayer. Morning, five minutes. Start with five minutes. Sitting for a minute in silence and then going to the Lord, walking through those prayers. It's beautiful. That's the point. That's striving. That's striving to know Him through His Word in prayer and then I serve. Okay? That's what the, the tone here that Jesus is trying to get across. Now, Barna describes in his research that 85% of professing American Christians have a relationship with God that is seriously underdeveloped. Some of those are cultural Christians enjoying the benefits of Christ without actually enjoying Him in this personal relationship we've been talking about. And the problem with that is Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's not possible for us to bear real lasting fruit without this personal relationship and this striving that He calls us to. And this text is a warning for us who, who are following him not to allow, to do religious activity for him rather than being with him. And our striving flows from that being, okay? That's why we're piloting this fall the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. I would encourage you, if you're in the least bit interested, come this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, I'll walk you through what it means. And the whole emphasis, both the first eight weeks and the winter eight weeks, is really praying the daily office. Okay? How can we develop this pattern of striving so that we know the Lord in a more personal, fulfilling, flourishing way so we can minister and we can know ourselves? I encourage you to be part of it. So therefore... It changes us in every way. You know, last week you know, I had mentioned that last week's text was about when you really follow Christ, division happens in your family sometimes. Some of us know that. Some of you have told me that. That was my experience. Um, and one of the things my family told me was 
you know, as I was beginning to walk this way, uh, you know, I'd be gone for three hours on Sunday morning, and they say, why, why are you gone every Sunday for three hours? For Christ? You think you're better than we are? They would say things like that to me. And I had a couple of people walk up to me and go, Gene, true, service for three hours long? I said, no. I went and I served at a service, and then I attended a service. And it was a joy, an absolute joy. I taught Sunday school with Kimmy. We were 22. We didn't have a clue of what we were doing. The rector's kids, now there's a church of 3,000 kids, people. The rector's kids walk in our third grade class, and we go, we're going to get burned at the stake. You know, we don't know, uh, you know, because they're going to go back and tell the rector, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Sherman got it wrong. You know, God was so gracious. What a joy. It was to have those kids because, you know, those kids remember me. And Kimmy, it, it was really fun. Uh, Sarah Labar was, was one of the assistant rector's kids, and she's a Hebrew professor, you know, right now. And she was one of my kids. Um, we, we served chalice. I was an usher and greeter. Friends, it's, it's just fulfilling the life God calls us to live. It was a joy. And I'm so glad I did, because I got to know people I never would have known. I met Gene Riddle, who went across Europe in a tank in World War II and ushered till he was 88 years old and cancer took him home. I met so many wonderful people, and I never would have met them. And he was the best greeter in the world, by the way. Standing out there, it's 15 degrees. Welcome to Truro. We're glad you're here. It was great. My friends, it's what it is. It's what we do. Let's know Jesus. Strive in our discipleship. And the third point is, be urgent about it. Jesus is urging this crowd because some will start looking when it's too late. Notice what they say. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Looking now at verse 28, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth where you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first, who will be last. He's describing that final time, which we talked about in chapter 12, when our Lord will come again. And there will be a time when those who are in the kingdom, that are on the right side of the door, that are inside the door and know the master, will come from north and south and east and west and will sit and the Father and the Son will serve them. I hope there's crabs. You know, steamed crabs with Old Bay seasoning with a tall draft. Wouldn't that be awesome for eternity? Heaven! Physically! Forever! He's serving us. I'm not worthy of that. You're not worthy of that. That's the picture of heaven. The picture of hell is that the people on the outside of the door are knocking 
And they won't be able to get in because their whole life they did it their way. Sorry, Frank. They did it their way. They did the Christian life their way. They were in the kingdom. You taught in our streets. We know you. I don't know where you come from. Depart, you evil ones. And hell is being in a place where they can see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the people reclining at the table, and they can't get there because of the choices they made now. Because some who are last will be first. Some who right now, present tense, are last, will be first. But those who are striving to be first will be last. My friends, Bishop Rowell said, hell is nothing but truth known too late. <sighs> Jesus has told us the truth, hadn't he? It's been a couple tough weeks, really. Very direct teaching from our Lord. But it's the most loving thing that God can tell us. People hear this type of text and they go, you're telling me that's the only way to heaven? I can't believe that. All roads lead to heaven. Well, you do realize that that's a truth claim in itself, right? It is. <laughs> right? And you're excluding me. So I'm okay with that, but tell me why you've come to that conclusion. Jesus comes with this grace and truth to show each and every one of us how much he loves us because he is going to Jerusalem. Because he is the one who desires to know us. He's the one who strove to the cross for us. And he did so urgently and resolutely. My friends, when we, when we realize all this, it's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. It's beautifully portrayed at the end of Pilgrim's Progress. Last week I told you about our friend Pilgrim. He went on a journey and his wife and boy, four boys, all stayed home with their burdens. They wouldn't go. And they tried to make him feel bad. And Pilgrim said, we got to go. I'm calling you to go. I won't make you go, but we're going. Get to the end of the book, Pilgrim's wife says to her four boys, sons, I've sinned against your father. I would not go with him, and I have robbed you of everlasting light, night, life. Rather, That night she dreamed. A parchment was unrolled before her, and which was recorded all her ways, and they were black indeed. She cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Almost immediately, two foul-looking creatures were beside her bed, saying, What shall we do with this woman? If she continues this, we will lose her as surely as we lost her husband. Next morning, she awoke in a great sweat. When there was a knock at the door, she called, If you come in God's name, come in. A man answered, Amen. He opened the door and he greeted her, Peace be to this house. Do you know why I have come? My name is Secret. I dwell with those on high. They tell me you are now aware of your sin. The merciful one has sent me to tell you that he is a God ready to forgive and he takes delight the more pardons he gives. 
Here's the, the letter. Here is a letter for you from the king. She opens a perfumed letter and letters of gold read, I want you to come as your husband did on the way to the celestial city and dwell in my presence with joy forever. She cried, Oh, sir, won't you carry me and the boys with you so that we may worship the king? He said, No. The bitter comes before the sweet. Go to the wicket gate over beyond the plain, for that is the entrance to the way. Keep this letter with you. You must deliver it at the celestial gate. So the visitor left, and she called the boys. Let us pack and go to the celestial city to live with your father in peace. And the boys burst into tears of joy. My friends, the wicked gate is narrow. <laughs> there are a few who go into it. But Jesus beckons us to come because this is where that abundant life will be and where life eternal is. Let us follow this one who strove for us because as we do so, we will know him and follow him and flourish in him together. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that it is to recognize that we're called to a life to know you. And really, in this CrossFit training that you've done for us today, it, it's, a, it's a light burden. It's one where there's great joy as we seek to know you and follow you. Lord, I pray that we would take this syllabus you've given us this morning and embrace it as the life abundant that it's intended to be for each and every one of us so that you, Lord, would do a great work in each and every one of us and we, like Pilgrim's Wife's boys, would burst into tears of joy because of the good work you've done in and through us this year. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen.